everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Scott. Welcome to the bookcase. And today, as usual, we have two books that we're discussing. The first one is Cultures of Healing by Robert T. Fancher. And the second one is Mind Games by Eric Clapton. Or Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> A little Freudian slip there. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When I did some searches in, I think I, I did a YouTube search on Eric Kaplan just to see if there was any content out there and doing research for this, this discussion. The only thing that comes up is Eric Clapton. There, <laughs> there is no Eric Kaplan content. You know, and it's strange because he has a long and distinguished history in my hometown at the University of Chicago, one of the nation's premier educational institutions. But it was hard to find much biographical information about him. And the same goes for, for Robert Fancher as well. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure we'll get into it later. And, and I guess we had planned to talk about Mind Games first, the, the Kaplan book, but I, I'm wondering because I, I get the sense that in Cultures of Healing that it's fairly obscure. And of course, I'm, I'm coming to it from a, a physician perspective, but I wonder about the obscurity because it, it seems like such an important work, clearly very well researched. I mean, he looked like he read every, everything. And in terms of readability, I think you would agree with me, Dan, that that particular book is, is really readable. It goes fast. It does. I, I couldn't put it down. And I, I was just so impressed with the scholarship. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't read consistently in the psychotherapy world, but I just, I just thought it was, it was a, great, a great read. And I, I will contrast it a little bit with, with Eric Kaplan's book, Mind Games, Mind Games, which you made me aware of, and I am very grateful for it. But it reads a little bit more like your 11th grade history of the United States textbook. It's very methodical, very dense, lots of names and dates. Yeah, it's pretty much a, a kind of a history textbook. It's got a kind of, I mean, a fairly linear progression from the, whatever, the, the early to mid 1800s. Through, through Freud coming to, to America in, in, I think it was 1909. I think we'd also agree, Dan, that these two books really complement one another, especially for anyone interested in what has been the project of psychological science for the last 150 years, which is, can we establish a science of psychotherapy? And both of these authors would argue, I think, that if we don't understand the history and the culture around that development, that we may be misled. We think of, of the, the, I want to say science, even though Fancher would argue that there really isn't any science, but the science of psychotherapy as, as coming from Freud and, and Charcot and the, the European contingent, it, it really was not, I mean, it, it's a homegrown phenomenon. What, what Kaplan would say is that psychotherapy really had nothing to do with Europe and nothing to do with Freud. Anybody that you ask who says 
our roots go back to Freud really, really, miss, really misses the truth that can be found in historical analysis of the development of psychological services. Right. Kaplan would, would say that it, it started with railway spying, with the, the development of, of high-speed rail travel and the injuries that, that came from the, the early years and, and the fact that there were fairly profound injuries that were, uh, did not appear to have a somatic basis. And that was important, of course, because at the time, the field of medicine was professionalizing. It was turning away from its roots, from its superstitious roots, some would argue, and trying, and trying to become scientific. And everything had to have a somatic basis, a materialistic basis. So if you felt discouraged, that was because there was some kind of injury in the case of the, uh, the accidents on the train to, to your spine. And, and this also tied in with the, the idea of a condition called neurasthenia, mm. which was a, at least initially, was a, a disease of, of people who used their minds in their work rather than their, their bodies. They were not the laborers, but the, the brain trust or the, the mind workers. That particular group of people appeared to display something that had yet to be described very well. These were folks who had a kind of general malaise. Their sleep was interrupted. They were discouraged. They didn't see a very useful or meaningful future. They might be anxious without some stimulus to be anxious about. And the same logic held. Medicine was in a phase of professionalizing. The focus was on what kind of lesion can we find, if right. not in the spine, then in the brain that might account for this. Right. You know, a laborer would break their back or, you know, break their arm and you could see it and it hurt and it, it, it all made sense. But a, a mind worker who was anxious or depressed, they, so the, the translation was that there must be some direct inside the brain lesion that was the problem. And then they steadfastly, that is the medical providers, steadfastly resisted, again, what they saw as part of their past, any emphasis on the psychic dimension. And I don't mean people who can read minds. I mean the psychology of the inner world of, of the people that they were working with. When people brought it up, they were typically from a religious background. And in fact, early movements like Christian science or the mind cures who were having phenomenal success and simultaneously raising the ire of the medical profession were spreading and offering an alternative to the somatic basis for mental and emotional suffering. Yeah, and I remember early in my career some, some feelings about how, how crazy it was that, that people would, would even think about using their minds to, to fix some kind of problem. You know, 
in my own career, I came to, in essence, sort of change pretty dr dramatically. I, I think it was when I became, when I, when I started actually seeing, seeing clients and kind of observed the relationship and developed a new appreciation for how, how relationships can, I don't want to, I guess, say change outcomes, but at least have, have some bearing on, on how, how healing takes place. And, you know, with that, Dan, I, I think when you read these books, you can't help but see how much of the same debate that was taking place at the turn of the 20th century is, is taking place today. We're still looking for lesions. The much talked about chemical imbalance, very popular for decades, is an idea that the depression people experience had to be reflected in some kind of problem in in the brain that that's the way it had to be and psychotherapists now have replaced or have their own equivalent that is it must be a maladaptive thought or a maladaptive emotion or the inability to express emotion that must be at the core that once remedied we would have a good outcome yeah and the crazy turf war that took place around the time or was taking place around the time that Freud came over, that physicians who were the, the real scientists, they studied the body and the mind. And the idea that this, this chemical imbalance, which is really only based on empirics, we, we fortuitously discovered that certain drugs like Prozac are effective, but we, we don't really know why. And, and so there, there's no, it's not, it's not really scientific. It's no more scientific than psychodynamics or CBT or any of those things. And, and so this whole, this whole chemical imbalance idea, which was, I think, told from the 1980s forward, despite a lack of evidence, it was, it was, it was really a story that the field was telling to itself and to its clients. And it's very similar to the story that was told to clients, again, in the 1890s, 1900s, et cetera. And that's where, to me, what we're talking about begins to intersect with Fancher's book. Mm -hmm. Because his whole point is, it seems to me, that this idea of a science of psychotherapy that identifies the ideology of the problem inside the individual and develops treatments that are believed to be specifically remedial to that particular diagnosis or problem radiology is not borne out by any of the science. That doesn't mean it's not effective, but it, it's just not borne out by any of it. So how to view this then? And Fancher would argue, if you see this through a cultural lens, that your view it likely better fits the facts. For me, anyway, it's such a compelling theory or belief. I mean, I just couldn't agree more. I mean, I think about, Dan, for example, this idea of cognitive therapy. First off, where does it originate? Well, sort of in a university setting. It's loved by university researchers. Why is that? Well, you're supposed to be thinking there. We have the most literate generation in the history of the planet living right now 
who have come to value their, their thoughts and believe that their thoughts guide their actions, e even though the evidence for this through dismantling studies indicates that these, it, it doesn't work that way. It's a useful fiction, or better yet, it's a cultural ethos. It's an idea. During the Cold War, we had strategic therapy. During the Victorian era, we had Freud and his emphasis on sex. I mean, how much more evidence do we need that psychological care of the Western variety is intimately tied up with the culture, and that may be a good thing? Right. Yeah, I, I, um, I guess... I mean, you know, it's, I hope it's not off the subject, but I, it, it, it worries me a little bit because it's just, just the idea that this chemical imbalance, that there's something wrong and I need to go to the doctor and get some Prozac. You, you've talked to me about expanding people's options. And, and, and to me, that, that culture anyway kind of narrows the options. Yeah. And, and so I just, and I see it in my own, my own practice, people sort of hanging on my, my every word about what, what medication do you think I need, doc? And I'm, I'm like, well, how many times have I heard the diabetes and insulin analogy used when prescribing an antidepressant? And again, I want to point out, neither of us are arguing that those things don't help people. Absolutely. But the notion that depression is something that exists in our brains, like you say, may actually not have us looking at the environmental variables, the same environmental variables that were affecting that large group of affluent people, again, at the turn of the 20th century, who were finding that they had extra time on their hands to think about what, what's it all about, Alfie? You know, what, what's this all about, really? Right. right. And if I if I'm so bold, I'll just say one more thing that in terms of implications, if we get away from this notion that there is a treatment for every problem and we have those problems defined and they they are extra cultural, you don't have to attend to the cultural variables, anything. I, it seems to me that Fancher's thesis allows us as clinicians to more effectively adjust to the individuals we're caring for who are increasingly diverse, who are now representing cultures that are very different from the dom one's dominant culture here right. in the in the US. Right. And and I, I mean I think those those cultures always probably always existed. They just weren't taken into consideration. We we just didn't even think about them, which I I guess is a reason to put fit out there as as a a way to effectively respond to cultural considerations i guess for me as a, as a research scientist and and practicing clinician the trouble i have is that our field continues to use these cultural trends which may be important to engage people and it's actually ignored decades of research on psych psychology there isn't a psychotherapy that's emerged that amalgamates the findings from psychology. There's very little about persuasion, for example. 
there, there's literally nothing about the, the science of meaning, what makes life meaningful to, to people uh, in psychotherapy. Instead, they all highlight either thinking, behaving, emotions that have this strong cultural component to them. We're, we're mired in the past way of doing and thinking about things that that doesn't bode well for, for our current situation, which is a global pandemic and yeah. lots of virtual care. Never, never has it been more important for us to understand what the science says about psychological care. The argument being made by Fancher would be, seeing this through a cultural lens might allow us to engage more broadly and effectively the people that we are working with. You know, you're famous for your, your evolution talk about how, how I forgot what it is, 80% or something of the people that, that could benefit from our services don't even, don't even show up. And wow. so we, we really do need to, to be aware of the cultural, there's reasons for that. It's, it's in the culture. And so changing the culture to be more adaptive. Exactly. And I, I do think that in that process, the two books we chose, again, Mind Games by Eric Kaplan. Cultures of Healing by Robert T. Fancher. Really provides a nice springboard for pushing the dialogue further. Amen. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Scott.